and welcome back to the Bookmark Podcast, sponsored by the Wallingford Public Library, where we talk about books, culture, and life at the library. My name is Julie Rio. I am the assistant director of the library, and I co-host this podcast because my mother always told me that I have a face for the radio. This is a podcast, which is the 21st century version of the radio, but Correct. close enough. Close enough. You know, that's just, you've said that before, and it just occurred to me that this isn't really the radio, but whatever. You thought we were gone, folks, two months absent, but we are back for better or for worse. We're back. My name is Cindy Haken. I am the Reader's Advisory Librarian at the library. I could talk about books all day long, and sometimes, sometimes I do. Actually, that should be most of the time. I it depends. It's, it is in my job description, you know, so it would be mm. funny not to do that. But I guess so. <laughs> uh, so, Cindy, it's good to be back. It's been a heck of a couple of months. It really has been. We've uh, had a rough been... time. Yeah, yes. we've had a rough time. Yeah, a lot going on. Um, first thing we need to mention is uh, the sudden death of our friend, colleague, co-worker, uh, Teresa Kristen. That happened at the beginning of April. Uh, it was really very shocking and very sad for the whole staff. Uh, we are still for the, reeling for the broader, the, for the, for the broader, from and, the broader and, Wallingford community too. She was a lifelong, sure. lifelong member of the community, worked at the library for 40 years. 40 um, years, 40 years, yes. lived just a few blocks away. So it was constantly out and about downtown. Amazing with patrons um, at mm -hmm. the borrower services desk. Very, very intelligent woman with a terrific sense of humor. Oh, self-deprecating sense of humor. A sharp wit, <laughs> which, as you know, Cindy and I appreciate it. We do. We do. And uh, the, her her death was a. Uh, an extraordinary loss for us, for everyone who knew her, but uh, it sent us into a bit of a tailspin. I have yes. to say that the month of April kind of got messed up. Yeah, most definitely. Um, and then personally, I had a few things. Um, just a few weeks after Teresa died, my uh, loving aunt, Nettie, died. Nettie. Aunt Nettie, Aunt Nettie. Uh, died uh, just a five weeks shy of her 92nd birthday. Um, it wasn't as shocking, uh, but still very uh, upsetting. Uh, Aunt Nettie, I grew up with Aunt Nettie. Uh, she was always there for me. And uh, it, it's, it's been tough. It's been tough. Uh, my mother's sister, uh, you all know and love my mother as much we as do. I do. <laughs> we do. We love mommy. Uh, and then a few weeks after that, uh, I went out and I got the COVID. Yes, you did. Yes, I did. And in and, a big, ugly way. Yeah, uh, ugly is right. Uh, coughing, sneezing, blowing, uh, really not pleasant at all. Uh, but compared with some, I fared pretty well. Uh, it took me a few weeks uh, to get over it and to come back full strength and also get rid of the husky, sick, congested yeah. voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 
I've decided that the reason I haven't gotten COVID is my strong Eastern Europe, European constitution because <laughs> I got no other explanation whatsoever. Yeah, exactly. We're dropping like flies here in the library and somehow. Oh, yeah. Or that or I have had it asymptomatically 500 times and my, my you know, but I doubt it. Um, and then you uh, gave it to me, maybe. Right, Who knows? It's my fault, obviously. It's yeah, it's always your fault. Um, so, yeah, I went on vacation for a week for the first time since 2019. And it turned out I was in much more serious need of vacation than I knew because I kind of mm. went, went off the grid. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so, yes. Yeah, so all in, we had we had delayed. We had my daughter graduate from graduate school. So we were traveling for that and uh, all kinds of stuff in April and May. Some of it joyous, most of it challenging. And now mm -hmm. it is June and we are back in the saddle. Yes, most Ready definitely. Ready to go. Ready to go. <laughs> so, Julie, yes. what have you been reading? Oh, I've been reading a lot, Cindy Lou. I'm so proud. I'm so proud. <laughs> um, the first book that I want to talk about is called, oddly enough, Crying in H Mart a memoir by Michelle's honor. Um, I read this uh, around Mother's Day uh, because it's a book about a mother-daughter relationship. And I know you, some, some of our listeners have said to me, you know, your mother's saying that you have a face for the radio. That's kind of mean. Nah. And let me tell you, it couldn't be further from the truth because I have a very close relationship with my mother and she and I for better or worse have the same sense of humor and so when she says that I know that she says it with all the love in her heart and I accept it that way but I digress you do but it's okay because it's for mommy <laughs> yes for mommy uh, so Michelle's honor the author is a uh, 33 year old author music video director and musician uh, she heads an alternative pop band called Japanese Breakfast. And coincidentally, they were just performing on the uh, season finale episode of Saturday Night Live. They performed their new hit, Be Sweet. So, uh, yeah, Google that and watch that on the YouTube if you want. Uh, <laughs> so this uh, Crying in H Mart memoir uh, was published in 2021. It was a New York Times bestseller. And it has been announced that the book is being adapted into a feature film. With, really? Yes, with Michelle's honor herself writing the screenplay and supervising the film soundtrack, which is interesting. Uh, and I should also point out that this book was recommended by our good friend and colleague, Barbara Congiano. Look at that. Look at that. Who Look is the that. head of borrower services at the library? So uh, Michelle's father is white and her mother was Korean. Uh, the memoir tells the story of Michelle growing up as one of the only Asian kids in her school in Eugene, Oregon. Uh, her relationship with her mother, her mother's diagnosis at age 56 with a rare form of bile duct cancer, mm. uh, her mother's mm. six month illness and her eventual death. Uh, and the way her uh, Michelle and her mother bonded over making Korean food. Uh, so 
I know mother-daughter relationships are complicated. Uh, and Michelle sometimes felt like her mother's expectations of her were unrealistic. Her criticisms were cruel, but she always felt that her mother expressed her love through food and being Korean, cooking Korean food. Uh, and many mothers I know do that as mine does. <laughs> um, so in the meals that she packed for Michelle's lunch, when she was in school, the dinners she cooked. Uh, so when Michelle got the call in her mid twenties that her mother was sick, she put her life in Philadelphia on hold to move back to Eugene to care for her ailing mother and reconnect with her Korean family's history and language and the food. Uh, and interestingly enough, uh, Michelle in the book also mentions following along with Mangchi's instructional cooking videos on YouTube. And if you remember uh, our colleague Leah Farrell mentioning her on yep. the previous podcasts. Yep. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, H Mart is the largest Asian supermarket chain in America. And the majority of their 97 locations are in California, Illinois, New Jersey, and New York. Uh, and in many locations, the mammoth stores include a food court. Uh, and the H in H Mart stands for the Korean phrase Han Al Ryum, which roughly translates to one arm full of groceries. So Michelle tells the story that ever since her mother died, she cries in H Mart because her grief comes in waves and is arbitrary. So she'll be shopping in H Mart, see something that reminds her of her mother and burst into tears. And I get that because... I've done that in the Hallmark store. <laughs> um, uh. Yeah. So, you know, the book is beautifully written love letter to her mother. It's honest and I highly recommend it. And, uh, you know, I like to read excerpts. So I'm going to read a very brief one because, okay, you know, good. I like that. Yep. Go ahead. Uh, so my first word was Korean. Uma. Even as an infant, I felt the importance of my mother. She was the one I saw most, and on the dark edge of emerging consciousness, I could already tell that she was mine. In fact, she was both my first and second words, Uma, then mom. I called to her in two languages. Even then, I must have known that no one would ever love me as much as she would. That's a good excerpt. So, That's yes. a good excerpt. Yeah, yes. it was, it was, um, that book was on so many best books of the year lists. It was on yes. the Times, the po Washington Post, NPR, um, Good Morning America, Goodreads, BuzzFeed, the Philadelphia Inquirer. It was one of President Obama's favorite books of the year. Um, it just, uh, it really struck a chord with people. Mm -hmm. good, yeah, and I can fish. see why. I can see why. Yeah. Um, well, what have you been reading? completely into something <laughs> a lot, a lot less depressing, not I'm, that's, a, that's, you know, there are a lot of memoirs about death and we've certainly talked about several of them on this podcast in the past, but it's summer. Yes. It is summer. Well, it's technically not summer officially, but it's summer because it's after Memorial Day. And so I thought I would mention a good summer read that I read, I think in May, I can't remember now. <laughs> um, called Book Lovers, What Could Be Bad, with a title like that, by Emily Henry. Emily Henry is now quickly becoming one of the queens of the summer 
beach read novel. Uh, she doesn't do like Ellen Hildebrand does, sort of always set them on Nantucket, but but the books come out every year. Her books come out every year, and they are they are just sort of in the classic. They're they're a beach rom com thing. Uh, the first one was called, um, I think, was was actually called Beach Read, as if she knew <laughs> what she was doing which I got to give her credit for. And the second was called People We Meet on Vacation, which is a title I love. And they were both really a lot of fun. Um, and the uh, People We Meet on Vacation um, definitely had a When Harry Met Sally vibe. So that's always a good thing. And um, the new book, her new book is called Book Lovers. And it came out a few months ago. And it is about a driven book um, agent in New York City who's very, very successful and who's very close with her sister who, and her sister is married and has a, a child and is pregnant with her second child. And they've a little bit drifted apart. And the sister suggests that they go away on a vacation together, just the two of them before her child is born. And they go to, for reasons that become clear, they go to a, a little hole in the wall, charming town in North Carolina uh, uh, and, and rent an Airbnb and sort of set up together. And it's about what happens during that time that they have together. It, it, it of course involves a love interest who is a, who is a notorious book editor who has rejected all of her authors, um, mm. which really pisses her off. Um, uh, I, they're just, you know, they're perfect to read on the beach or by the pool. This one was actually a little steamier than I remember for other books being, I know you can't see this people, but Julie's eyebrows just shot up. Um, <laughs> and so that, that caught my attention a little bit because I just don't remember the other two being quite esteemed. And, and it's the thing that I like about the books, other than that they're intelligently written in the genre, is that they don't go quite the way you think they're going to go. I mean, they do in the sense that so far we've had happy endings, but the endings don't, don't, follow the normal way to get to happy that I would say a book in the genre usually does. And, mm. uh, and the other thing is that she a little bit makes fun. Like, so in this one, you know, there are all these Hallmark movies about driven person goes to small town USA, falls in love with hunky small town USA guy, <laughs> gives up her driven life and lives happily ever after in small town USA. And, and she's actually a little bit making fun of that uh, of that whole trope while letting it happen and then letting that play out in a way that is not not in the in the way of the trope. So I, I mm -hmm. she's got a she's got a very strong following. I think this book will add to her following. And I'm happy to know that every late spring, early summer, she's good for another one of these. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. What's what's next on your list? On my list. So when I'm not feeling well and I'm having trouble concentrating, I look for something that's very light and easy to read, something I can pick up and put down and not feel like I have to finish a chapter or anything like that. And I found the perfect book as I was cleaning out my Aunt Nettie's house, which was Golden Girls Forever, An Unauthorized Look Behind the Lanai by Jim Colucci. Gotta love it. Gotta, Gotta love, love it. it gotta love it of course we all know remember the golden girls was a sitcom that aired from 1985 to 1992 
about four older women who shared a house in Miami, Florida, and starred Betty White as Rose Nyland, gotta love her, mm. Rue McClanahan as Blanche Devereaux, Ooh. the fabulous, fabulous, fabulous. B. Arthur as Dorothy's Bornack, and Estelle Getty as Dorothy's mother, Sophia Petrillo. And as you can imagine, I enjoy uh, Dorothy and Sophia's relationship as it reminds oh, yes. me a lot of my mother and I. <laughs> and, and I must also say uh, that there has been some chat at the library. You know, some of the librarians tend to dress up at Halloween. And I've had this idea. I think this was my idea. Uh, yes. Julie and I and our friend Barbara Cangiano and our colleague Deb Ward would, would eat be one of the four golden girls and dress up. And I'm going to let, it was very clear to me. To us. Who, to us, I think. Yes, who should play of each of the four? And I think I'm going to leave it there and let people decide. Um, <laughs> you don't know Barb and Deb yet. Um, hopefully one day you will. If you, if you're, if you don't know them, um, hopefully we'll get them to come on the podcast and then you can help figure out which of the four would be. But I still think that would be a great idea and um, we all have Golden Girls masks that we got early in COVID, and we have yes. Golden Girl. What are they? What do they call Julie? But, uh, Funko Pops. Funko Pops. Something yes. I had never heard of before I came to the Wallingford Public Library. Uh-huh. That's a uh, nod to our uh, colleague Chris Simonuski. Yes, <laughs> the greatest collector of Funko Pops in the history of the world. Yes, and and. Um, and I still think that would be a really good idea. But yes, so Golden Girls is is near and dear to my heart. Before I came to the library, I loved that show. I don't know how you could not love that show. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, just as a, an aside, we, my husband and I were having dinner with a few of our adopted Yale children mm-hmm. the other night. And All in the Family came up and neither one of them had any idea what All in the Family was, which was crushing oh, wow. to me. Yeah. I didn't, it wasn't that it made me feel old. I was just like, this was an iconic thing. And in talking to them about all in the family, I, I remembered the Jeffersons. And then I also remembered that the, that, that Maud was mm-hmm. originally an all in the family character before she had her spinoff. And she was one yes, of the she women played who really Edith's stood up to cousin. Yeah. Yes. Maud really yeah. stood up to Archie. And I always loved her. For that, oh, yes. obviously, and and so even I mean her Dorothy character was not that different from her Maud character. Let's be yeah. honest. So, <laughs> but uh, it did make me remember all of that and and my my youth and the television shows I watched in my youth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know I mean throughout the series run, all four of the actors won Emmys for their performances. Yeah. And 30 years later, the show is still in, in syndication on TV channels around the world and on Hulu as well. Um, and, and doing and still many pop cultural references to it. There are memes yeah. with it, uh, video clips on YouTube abound. Um, it's well, yeah, the show really show. broke grounds because it addressed yeah. a lot of issues like homelessness, age discrimination, yeah. gay marriage, AIDS, yeah. racism, yeah. Uh, assisted suicide, uh, promiscuity. <laughs> and uh, the, <laughs> the idea of chosen family, right? That's right. 
yep. a big buzz term now. Uh, it wasn't back then, but that's they were chosen family. Absolutely. Um, so this book uh, that I read has excerpts from interviews with the show's creators, producers, writers, actors, and guest stars. You know, until I was reading that book, you forget how many huge guest stars yeah. they had. Oh, yeah. Uh, Nancy Walker, Harold Gould, Burt Reynolds, of course, Leslie Nielsen, yeah. uh, Dick Van Dyke, Mickey Rooney, yeah. Sonny Bono, Bob Hope, Jerry Arbach, Debbie Reynolds, and a young George Clooney, if you remember, he played a police officer. I, in one of I the do episodes. know that. Yeah. Um, wow. Wow. You know, so and then stories about casting the show, looking back about some uh, some of the show's most memorable episodes and quotes and the costumes that they wore. Uh, so it was really very enjoyable. Perfect uh, read for when you're not feeling well and just want to read little vignettes. Sounds great. I think I may borrow that from you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. And what else have you been reading? Well, so last weekend, I read a book that is almost certainly going to be on my best books of 2022 list. Uh, It's a little early to say that, isn't it? No, well, no, we're almost halfway. But it was it was that good. So, okay, that good. I know how many books are potentially on that list. And I know where I would rate this book on that list. So I feel confident that this book is going to make it. So this is a sneak peek for all of you who wait for my last blog post of the year to to find out what my 20 favorite books of the year. I think this book will be on it. It's Emma Straub's new novel, This Time Tomorrow, which was actually one of the 20 notable titles I highlighted in the uh, spring-summer 2022 edition of Book Buzz, which happened in early March, and I think on this podcast. Um, It is a time travel novel about, it's set now, uh, and is about a woman who is just about to turn 40. She has an incredibly close relationship with her father and her father is dying um, in the uh, in, in the hospital and they don't really know why he's dying. And she's kind of at this point in her life, I wouldn't call it a midlife crisis, but she's not moving forward in her life and <clears throat> is trying to, to in this sort of, she's not unhappy, but she's not happy. And she's a little mm-hmm. bit stuck. And she turns 40 and gets really drunk and falls asleep uh, at the house that she, the apartment in New York City that she grew up in, which is not where she lives now. And when she wakes up the next morning, she is 16. She's, uh, she's the morning of her 16th birthday, not her 40th birthday. And she is at home in her teenage bedroom. And she knows in her head, in her head, she's 40, but she's, mm-hmm. she's, everything else is 16. And uh-huh. she, it's about what happens that day and about what happens after that day. And I, apart from that, so she, in, she's 16 in 1996. So I lived in New York City in 1996. Uh-huh. And there's a lot of, of, references to restaurants and stores and locations, mostly on the Upper West Side, uh, and other cultural references, movies and TV shows and stuff like that. So of course, that's a great, that's just great. But the writing is so good. And 
the story is really interesting and again not quite it doesn't fit exactly in the trope you would you would expect the resolution is not what you would expect the mm. way the time travel works is not quite what you would expect um and i loved it i just Loved it. I, I like Emma Straub a lot. She, for people who don't know, she owns an independent bookstore in Brooklyn called Books Are Magic. And she's the author of several novels. Um, I think my favorite of her novels before this one is called Modern Lovers. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I recommend her books. Um, this one is my definitely my favorite, favorite of all of her books. Uh, yeah, you, you turned me on to her. Uh, I think she's fabulous. Um, and when I was at the uh, Public Library Association conference, you had set me on a course to find and get autographed several uh, advanced reader copies, ARCs, uh, and she was one of them. And she and I had a converse, a lovely conversation, and I just fell in love with her then. And you said, well, if you liked talking to her, you should read her stuff. Yeah. And so... Yeah. And so I've read several of her books. And coincidentally, uh, this book is next in my to-be-read pile. Look at that. So please, no spoilers. No spoilers. I just I just gave you the plot. Yes, yes. The, ba- the bare bones of the plot. A taste. So yeah, and I can't I can't wait to read it. So that's next. Um so actually I have one more book to talk about. Wow, three books uh, in, from you. <laughs> it's been three months. <laughs> um, so yeah, so in uh, driving back and forth to visit my ill aunt and then uh, for funeral arrangements and cleaning up the apartment, I was listening to an audiobook and I decided that I needed something light um, so that uh, nothing too heavy. And so what I chose was a carnival of snackery diaries, 20, 2003 to 2020 by uh, David Sedaris. Uh, and the audiobook is read by David Sedaris and Tracy Ullman. Um, and Tracy so, Ullman. Yes. I mean, he, yeah. right. He always reads his audiobooks, right? That's why they're so good. Yes, he does. And, you know, you get to know him and his cadence and his you know delivery and you know he does voices for his brother with a southern accent and his father and you know so that really adds something to it so I was a little hesitant to hear that Tracy Ullman was going to be doing some of the book and so wondered how that would be and at the beginning he explains that he thought people might be getting tired of his voice and he liked the really? fact that, yeah, well, I guess he gets a lot of complaints because his voice is somewhat effeminate. And so he gets a lot of complaint letters that says, I don't know why you have that woman reading your books. You should do it yourself. And, you know, he has to politely say, well, that's my voice. Uh, and so he liked yeah, the fact right. that Tracy Ullman could perform in different accents and voices and I have to say that I missed him, you know? I mean, she was good about, you know, when she was talking about his time in London and, mm. uh, you know, doing different voices. But I was surprised that they, the way they divided it up, 
she read some of his diary entries about his dad. And Uh. the funniest thing about those stories is him doing his father's voice. And I really, I missed it. I don't know. So anyway, we'll see what happens with his next uh, book, which is Happy Go Lucky. And I have that actually sitting uh, to read. Yes, that just came out. Next. Yeah, that just came out. Yeah. Uh, So for those of you who don't know, uh, David Sedaris is the author of 11 books and is a regular contributor to the New Yorker magazine. Uh, This book is his second volume of his diaries, uh, the first being Theft by Finding, uh, Diaries 1977 to 2002. And I would describe his books as autobiographical observational humor essays. (laughs) And They are hilarious at times. I have laughed out loud several times. Uh, But, you know, also at times he's poignant when he writes about the death of his younger sister, Tiffany, or the fact that his father is aging and living in an assisted living facility. And so this uh, book is a collection of his diary entries from, as I said, 2003 to 2020, includes uh, anecdotes about conversations he overheard on the train. And you know, he's explained before that he carries a little notebook with him everywhere he goes so that if he hears something odd or sees something funny, he definitely jots it down. So that's what these are, right? So he's overhearing conversations on the train. He's having conversations with people who drive him to and from the airport. Uh, and he does a fair amount of traveling because he, uh, you know, does speaking engagements and book signings all around the world. Uh, stories about his siblings uh, and his longtime life partner, Hugh. Uh, stories about his crusade to remove litter from the side of the road and the highway near his home in Rackham, West Sussex, England. Uh, some longer stories about the, like the t- one about the time that he lost his Apple Watch at the TSA checkpoint at the airport. Uh, quite a few dirty jokes told mm. to him by fans during his mm. book signings quite a few (laughs) dirty interesting very very dirty um okay (laughs) you know the funny thing is is i saw him perform at the brooklyn academy of music in uh november 2017 and i was lucky enough i waited in line uh and his autograph sessions are typically hours and hours long because he definitely does not rush right from one person to another. And he autographed my copy of Me Talk Pretty One Day uh, book. And, you know, I was really surprised how much time he took. And I was kind, I mean, we didn't really have a great exchange, but I was kind of thinking like, what would that be like if I was listening and the diary entry said, I met this woman at the Brooklyn Academy. <laughs> like, oh! <laughs> Because, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the s- stories he tells, diary entries, definitely have to do with people he met at the book signing. Yeah, you never know. You never know when you say something intentionally or unintentionally that's going to wind up in one of his diaries. Yeah. And he, he definitely asks questions to goad people on, like, when was the last time you touched a monkey? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like and then the woman up. said... Why can you smell it on me? <laughs> so, you know, anyway. Uh, so that, that's what I've been 
listening to. Pretty good. Pretty yeah. good. Pretty so good. listen, there's yeah. a thing happening in town this month. A big uh, thing. Kind of a big thing. So Wallingford turned 350. Wallingford, Connecticut, our own town, turned 350 uh, in 2020. And normally mm-hmm. that would be a really, really major thing, except that there was this thing going on in 2020 called COVID. That? And and uh, so all of the things that were planned around the 350th anniversary of Wallingford were shelved. Mm-hmm. And that was a bummer. And then they were shelved again last year. And even though COVID is still with us, um, regrettably, we we are we are just going plunging ahead. There is no more shelving. Mm-hmm. There is a website, wallingford350.org, and this is it's Wallingford Wallingford 350th plus two. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and I I say I do I do a little plus two asterisk, uh, but it is it all the celebrations that would have been happening in 2020 are happening now. And we wanted to talk a little bit about what the library is doing in connection with the 350th and also make sure everyone knows uh, some of the major events that are going to be going on around town. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to say that there are a lot of events going on around town. We're only going to talk about a handful of them. So as yeah. Cindy said, definitely check out the Wallingford, wallingford350.org to see all of them. Uh, first thing, uh, the library has been working for the last uh, month, I think, on A Tree Grows in Wallingford, a community art and mural project. And uh, for that, we have uh, employed artist Rashmi Talpati, who uh, has worked with the library f- before on uh, the townscape that hangs in the uh, front lobby of the library. Um And what Rashmi is doing is uh, people are submitting uh, photos of themselves or um, drawing uh, pictures of things that mean the most to them. Uh, And then Rashmi has painted on the wall across from our borrower service desk a tree. And so all of these photos she's cutting into leaf shapes and assembling them on the tree that she has painted and uh over the last several weeks we have watched the tree bloom uh and it's it's pretty great i have to say it's pretty great to look at and there's so many leaves now uh and more to come and they're just it's just i don't know it I wasn't sure when I first heard about it I was like really I don't uh, really but but Mm -hmm. as I've seen it take shape uh, I've just, I'm just getting a huge kick out of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to see all the different uh, mediums that people are using to, you know, kind of convey the importance of Wallingford to them and, you know, just photos of people and pets. And uh, so it's really quite something. So when you come to the library, make sure to turn around as you're checking your items out at the borrower services desk and uh, check out the tree. Yes, do and make a leaf if you if and make if you yeah make time. a leaf make if a you leaf. have not already make a leaf. So the big parade there is a jubilee parade on Saturday, June eighteenth. Julie, what time is the parade? It's in the it's afternoon. One thirty. Right? It starts one thirty. It starts and it starts just a few blocks down North Main Street from the library at Moses Y Beach Elementary School. 
and it's going to go uh, um, on North Main Street to Center Street and then turn to South and, and head on Center Street to South Elm and then make its way to Lyman Hall, Lyman Hall High. So we, we thought that was a couple of miles all in the route of the parade. Right? Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's about two miles. About two miles. And it's going to be a, a thing. The library, of course, has a float in the yep. parade that I've, that I've been watching coming together in the garage. No, no sneak peek here. No spoilers we, there, but Jesse and Katie have been working. Working hard. hard working hard. That. Yes. We will be closed that Saturday, June mm -hmm. 18th, because we expect it to be quite busy in front of the library. And we just didn't see how anyone would be able to get in. And we also thought the parking lot might be of use. The library's parking lot might be yes. useful for people coming to the parade. So the library will not be open on the 18th, but hopefully everyone will come to the parade. Mm -hmm. Yep, I will be marching in the parade uh, as will a few of our coworkers. Waving and... to your legions of fans as you march. <laughs> Waving to my fan. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, also, a little bit of a spoiler, check the parade for Jesse Bernier, oh. uh, who is our uh, volunteer coordinator. She has a very special costume that yeah. fits in uh, with the float, yeah. and um, uh, it, it's quite something. Yeah. Quite something. Yeah. <laughs> And that's all I'm going that's to it. say that's it. about it. That's right. Um, and then the day after that, on June 19th, is a walkathon and family event on the Quinnipiac River Linear Trail uh, called From Around the World, We All Connect on the Linear Trail. Uh, many of us uh, were not Wallingford natives. We didn't grow up in Wallingford. So we've come from you know, all over uh, the world, really. And so this is uh, an event to celebrate that. Uh, we have a map in the library where you can indicate uh, with a pin that you get at the reference desk uh, where your you or your family has hailed from. Uh, and then on June 19th, we will be celebrating that. Sounds great. Well, not, not we as in the library, but right, we but as in the town. Taking the walk. Taking the walk. And then that night on June 19th, that evening is International Night, picking up on the, that we come from all over the world to Wallingford, with entertainment and food trucks in the parking lot of the Senior Center and SCOW on Washington, it's on Washington Avenue, right? Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, and that's a really big parking lot, and it's going to have a lot mm -hmm. going on to bring the community together around some food and fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on June 20th at, uh, I think it's 630, 6.30, uh, we are having a virtual and in-person program here at the library as part of the Jubilee celebration, a virtual tour and history of uh, Wallingford's historic homes and moments. Uh, historic homes, past and present, and it's narrated by uh, local historian Mary Beth Applegate. Uh, it really, she's done a lot of work on this program, uh, and it's really very fascinating to uh, hear about the history of some of the town's homes. And I believe it's also on YouTube. 
but don't quote me on that. Really? On the, no, I'm lying. Okay. Never, Never mind. mind. I lied. Never mind. So the, the day after the virtual house tour, what? Oops, what? Sorry. Um, okay. Never mind. The day after the virtual house tour uh, in the library on the 21st of June at noon is, at, is a, an in-person program as part of Women's Day by the, the Wallingford community women are celebrating Women's Day with a program that focus, um, and it's an interactive multimedia program by the Connecticut Women's Hall of Fame to learn about some of the state's powerful female voices for change in our democracy. Um, it's also, um, the, there's, a, there's a traveling exhibit celebrating the 100th anniversary of the ratification of the 19th Amendment. So it's tying in with mm -hmm. that as well. So the library is gonna have that exhibit that week and the, the Women's Day itself is on June 21st. And so we're having this program to celebrate Connecticut women and which I'm down for, but that's at noon in the community room. Awesome. And then another uh, fun event is uh, Fireworks Day at Sheehan on uh, June 24th at 9.30. Uh, so that should be fun, 9.30 PM, yes. I just, Having I know fireworks when it's dark, but I'm just saying as 9.30 AM would kind of be kind of, yeah unless it was a really cloudy day yeah yeah still i don't think so yeah mm -hmm. but i mean that's just a really a smattering of uh the events that are planned for that jubilee week uh so i really uh if you're in wallingford near wallingford uh definitely check out wallingford350.org uh to get a full uh, rundown of all the events and now it is time for Julie's favorite segment. I, think it, I can't decide. Make the book. I can't decide if it's her favorite segment because it's the last one, and then she knows the, that we're done recording for the month, or or whether it's just her favorite segment. I'm, it's it's no, not clear. It's my favorite segment because every month I try to see if I can make something that's even sweeter than what I made yeah. the month before. Yeah, I'm afraid this month you may have actually achieved. <clears throat> The goal. So, yes, if you all remember last time, I think it was last time, um, we uh, met, uh, I made pecan sandy shortbread cookies, mm -hmm. and they were very delicious, but mm -hmm. I thought to myself, how can I put a Julie twist on this? And I thought, well, you know what, instead of using pecans, I could use hazelnuts. And instead of tossing the cookies in powdered sugar, I could roll them in some melted Nutella and then roll them in chopped hazelnuts. What, what bothers me is even that you think this way, putting, <laughs> putting aside that you then go on and execute on that thought. Mm -hmm. Like who would think that? I mean, if you had said melted dark chocolate, mm. like, like that would that would appeal, right? That would make sense to me. But Nutella is a Nutella. chocolate hazelnut spread. I I, I and know therefore that. goes with hazelnuts. No, but but or you could argue that since there are already hazelnuts in the cookies, mm -hmm. extra hazelnut 
you as you're adding hazelnut, it, it's not like there are variations of hazelnuts, right? It's a mm -hmm. lot of hazelnut. And I like hazelnuts, don't get me wrong. But if you alternated, so if you had dark chocolate, which would cut some of the sweetness so that your teeth and your gums didn't like hurt. Um, oh, my may, teeth and, then, and gums okay. don't hurt okay. because All of right. sweetness. Okay. All right. Um, so I used the basic recipe that I got, uh, which was, and now I'm adding uh, chopped hazelnuts, flour, salt, cinnamon, uh, unsalted butter, uh, sugar, vanilla extract. And so I put all of that together, <laughs> made them uh, into round balls as called for. And when they cooled, I, uh, after I baked them in the oven, uh, I rolled them in melted Nutella and then rolled them in chopped hazelnuts. And, and uh, you really, you need, you need to work fast because the Nutella, you know, will seize pretty quickly. And I misjudged the amount of hazelnuts I would need to roll them in after rolling it in the Nutella. But I'm watching Cindy right now as she tastes, as she tastes it. Yeah, and? It's really sweet. <laughs> it's really, really sweet. I mean, I'm a huge, huge pecan sandy, you know, and the but these aren't pecan sandies. I know, and I like these hazelnuts. are Julie's hazelnut goodies. Okay, okay, and maybe it's good that Julie is not a bake shop owner and Julie is <laughs> Julie is a librarian instead. I I and uh, it's to put up with her. I think I got today both a hazelnut shortbread cookie with just the powdered sugar, and I've already eaten that. That was good. Uh, uh -huh. okay. and then Thank I you. have the the twist the Julie twist version and I'm a little nauseous I gotta tell you I haven't <laughs> finished that one I I I I gave it I just it's just too much Nutella is not my thing Nutella is just not my thing I I, I can ad Ugh. admit I think that if you had done this and dipped them or rolled them in melted dark chocolate and then sprinkled them with hazelnuts, I would like them more. That's just my own personal taste. Yeah, but that's because you subjective. don't like Nutella. It's and no offense sweet. to the Nutella people. No offense to the Nutella people. Mm -hmm. Every To each his own. That's right. Yes. yes. But the Julie twist, I feel that almost all Julie twists might be a little too sweet for me. Um, but delicious, okay. in my delicious. opinion, and I bake for me. As, as well you should. Actually, I bake yes. for everyone at the library and everyone <laughs> who comes to my house for dinner. Um, as well you should. Okay, so I found out, courtesy of The New Yorker, which did a piece about this, about a cookbook that came out last year called Snacking Cakes by Yossi Arecti, Simple Treats for Anytime Cravings. Snacking, yeah, see, a snacking cake, this is how Yossi defines it, is a single layer cake, um, uh, probably square, although I, to be honest, I've been making them all in a round pan, 
covered mm. with a simple icing or nothing at all, and it must be truly easy to make. It is a cake that makes an ideal breakfast to go, wrapped in a paper napkin, and a perfect little sweet to have alongside coffee in the afternoon. So they're low stress. Mm. And most of the stuff you would need, you should have, if you are a baker, you would have in the house. Mm -hmm. and, and I've now made several of the cakes in the cookbook, and I'm, I'm keeping the cookbook for a while longer, and I'm going to keep making more of them. Uh, but the base recipe is more or less the same. So, so, and you don't need an electric mixer, you need a bowl and a whisk. Because mm. the butter, if there's butter in the cake, which usually is, it's melted. So you don't have to worry ah. about beating the butter, which makes it easy. The, mm -hmm. the, the one that I've made the most often since I got the cookbook is rhubarb crumb cake. Because I'm a, I'm a C. Right away, it's not sweet enough for Miss Julie because rhubarb, which is one of my favorite things to bake with, is We've already sour. talked about rhubarb before yes. i believe and because rhubarb and is one of my favorite things to bake expressed with expressed my extreme displeasure and because hence, it's just not sweet enough hence I mean, we are talking dessert. about rhubarb again no. dessert it's a snack needs cake. to be sweet it's a snacking cake did you not read the definition of the snack i did you hear i heard your that? definition okay. but snacking cake still there's cake in the name of it okay. and it needs to be sweet so and just to make it worse for Julie, when I've made this cake, I have actually skipped the crumb topping <gasps> because <laughs> What's because you woman. So I wish I had thought to antagonize her in this way. I just I didn't even think that until just now when I looked at her horrified face when I said that. <sighs> I have this crumb topping is you know oats, brown sugar, flour, and salted butter. But, but I didn't think it needed it. It's just a cake. It doesn't, it's not like, I, like, it's not a crumb cake. It's a rhubarb cake. And basically. Well, but basically, to, to mask the flavor of the rhubarb, you need you a don't little crumb want in to there. mask the flavor of the rhubarb. I not would. That, but this cake has lemon zest to make it extra tangy. So you, Ugh. here's the basic concept, right? You zest lemon into a bowl, you add brown sugar and eggs and you whisk, okay? okay? And then you add in sour cream, but I use whole milk, whole whole fat Greek yogurt um, because I always mm -hmm. have that in the house and I almost never have sour cream in the house. Mm -hmm. um, the melted butter, vanilla and salt, and you whisk that together. So you've got this sort of emulsified thing. And then you add flour, baking powder and baking soda. Whisk it, mm -hmm. chop up a cup and a half of rhubarb and toss it in, fold put it in the pan, bake, that's it. And and all of the cakes in this, or at least the cakes, the first section is fruit-based cakes. And, and I've stayed in that section so far. Um, mm -hmm. It's that basic formula of the whisking brown sugar or regular sugar with eggs, and then adding sour cream or Greek yogurt and, um, and melted butter and vanilla and salt, and then adding some flour combination and whatever the fruit flavor is. That's the mm -hmm. basic formula for these cakes. So you see why yeah. they come together while the oven is preheating, the whole thing comes together mm -hmm. and it bakes for, my oven is running a little hot. So mine are baking about 40 minutes, but the recipe says 50. You could, it, it's an eight inch square or nine inch round. And you could also do it probably some of the cakes you could do as a loaf or in a cast iron skillet. Mm -hmm. um, obviously you can serve it as a, as a dessert with ice cream or 
you know, make whipped that cream. Sounds, that sounds, yeah. Okay. Um, now you're or, talking. Or you could, in this, each cake comes with a variation on the theme. So this one, you could swap out the rhubarb for berries, you blueberries or raspberries yep. or, cup, right? That you'd like better because it's sweeter. But yeah. but I love this cake and, and it sits on the kitchen counter and people just, since there's always people in my house, they just come by and cut a piece and then eat it and, and it makes people happy. Um, and and I, I think that's true for most of the recipes in the book or, or that's the theme of the recipes in the book. So it's, it's just a great, it's a great cookbook. Awesome. Awesome. I look forward to hearing about other uh, recipes that do not Eater. include the rhubarb. Right. Okay. I'll let you know. And you know what that means? <sighs> Our time is up. It always goes by so quickly. It does. And I, I feel like, well, maybe you just taking the break. It just feels like sadder that our time is up already but hopefully we will not oh. be taking a break again and we will just yes in early yes. july hopefully not so i'd like to thank you dear listeners for listening to the bookmark podcast please check the show notes for a list of the books authors and websites we talked about and subscribe to the bookmark wherever you get your podcasts that way you'll know when a new episode is available and visit the library's website at wallingfordlibrary.org for more information about the library, our upcoming events, and how to contact Cindy and me. Thank you for joining us today. And Cindy, thank you so much, Cindy. Oh, Julie, it is such a pleasure to have this time together with you. <laughs> You're such a liar. Yeah, I know. Now, now say goodbye, Cindy. Goodbye, Cindy.